Good evening and welcome to our program, Bring Out the Best, in your spouse, your children, and yourself. With me, your host, Rabbi Yisrael Roll. A number of years ago, I launched a citywide program called the Life Task Force to promote self-esteem enhancement at the home and at school. One of our new programs of the Life Task Force is a new citywide campaign to ban cell phones during carpool. You'll say to me, ban cell phones during carpool? What does that have to do with self-esteem? The answer is, first we must look at the self. It is simply not safe to drive children to carpool while speaking on the telephone. So in terms of self-esteem, we have to look after the self of our children. Secondly, driving children to school to learn is a hechsher mitzvah. It's a preparation for the actual mitzvah of learning Torah. And therefore, while we're performing that mitzvah, we have to do it with a full heart. That means to give attention, listen to, talk with our children, and enjoy the experience of driving them to education. To enjoy the process is to pay attention to the process. And third, use this as quality time with your children and their friends. And listen carefully to what they say during carpool. What happens at school, with the teachers, you can glean a lot of information about how they're doing in school through the carpool process. So carpools can be a positive experience. So if you want to join our campaign and sign on and say, yes, I'll join the campaign, I want to spread the word that carpool should not be a time for cell phones, that 15, 20 minutes should be quiet downtime and listening time to our children, sign on to our website, www.12stepstoselfesteem.org. That's 12, number 12, steps. Number two, selfesteem.org, and sign on to the icon which has a car and a cell phone and sign your name and join this campaign. As you visit our website, you may want to visit some of our programs. One of them is a seven-week self-esteem diet, a program that I developed with Rabbi Dr. Abraham Tversky, a program to get rid of our fantasy self, which is the compulsive eating self, and replace it with a real self, one which is in control of one's eating in order to join our website, please log on to 12stepstoselfesteem.org and become a member of our 12-step program. Another community announcement, tomorrow night, Monday night, November 22nd, Rabbi David Orlovsky will be speaking at B'day Jacob Shari Zion for his orrery, Torah Inspiration for the Post-Seminary Generation Program for Women Across the Community to hear this international dynamic educator and Torah personality, Rabbi David Orlovsky, on the topic of the secret of the dreidel. That's tomorrow night. November 22nd at 8 p.m. Tonight's special guest is Rabbi Moshe Gans, who has smicha from Lakewood Yeshiva and a Ph.D. in education from the University of Colorado. He has 15 years' experience in the field of education, served as a principal, a teacher, and a student activities director, the author of two books, Make Me, Don't Break Me, and Success, both well-selling, successful books on the art school market. And he writes a weekly column, in the Jewish press called Bringing Out Their Best. He's a public speaker on parenting and building self-esteem, a counselor to, counselor to parents on motivational techniques and parenting skills, and a well-known personality in the Torah world. Our special guest tonight, Rabbi Moshe Gans. Good evening, Rabbi Gans, and welcome to our program. Thank you. It's a pleasure being here. Rabbi Gans, there is the concept of relationship between parents and children, which seems to be lost sometimes in the confusion of the idea of parenting. Can you comment on what type of relationship should parents strive for with their children? 
That's a good question because many parents think that they're not operating in a popularity contest. They say parenting is something, it's an obligation that I have. My job is to teach these kids to be responsible adults. Uh, I'm not I'm not competing in a popularity contest. So they don't make any effort to have a nice, warm, friendly relationship with the children. Uh, and this is a very big mistake. Uh, as we learn from, there's a pasuk in Mishlei uh, that discusses this issue. Shlomo HaMelech talks about relationships, talks about the way that people are receptive to others who are friends to them, who are considered as loving people, but are not receptive to people who are they consider as not loving people, as people who they consider as uh, possibly hateful, but not necessarily hateful, but people who are not on their side. And we can be so much more effective if we have a good, positive relationship. As a matter of fact, Rabbi Shamshin Rafal Hirsch talks about, uh, is a beautiful, beautiful piece uh, where he discusses uh, how parents should 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 be with their with their children. He says parents should be friends to their children. Now, obviously, friends can be interpreted in different ways. You can't be chummy chummy. Uh, however, I think we can understand that what he means by a friend is certainly uh, not somebody who has a cold business type relationship. And even if we talk about a business type relationship, who do you like doing business with? Do you like doing business with somebody who has a cold relationship to you? Or do you like doing business with somebody who has a, a warm relationship, somebody you can get along with, somebody who you can joke with, somebody you can, you can feel you have a, camar- you have a camaraderie with? Uh, these are the kinds of people that we like dealing with. Children are absolutely no different. Children are young adults. Adults are big kids. And all of us like to deal with people who we can relate to in a nice, warm, friendly way. Well, again, people will say to you, well, what about this idea that my child is not my friend? I'm their mother and their father. How do you find the balance between the distance and the respect and also the friendship? How do you find that delicate balance? It's true. Parents have to have that delicate balance. On one side, they have to be a friend. On the other side, uh, they have to let the child know who's in control. It does take some good judgment and some good analysis and some good learning of skills and how to do that. It's something that we always have to remember and it's something we have to keep in mind because on one hand, a parent who wants to be too much of a friend and it lets things slide by and allows the kids to get away with murder, uh, they're teaching a lot of wrong things. These children are going to grow up uh, thinking that they can get away with murder, thinking that they, if something goes wrong, they can always lean on mommy or tati. As they get older, that's not going to work, and they're going to be in big trouble. On the other hand, if we're going to be too, too tough on the kids, uh, what's going to happen is we're going to turn them away, away from us. We're going to turn them away, possibly, possibly, from Yiddishkeit, because what's going to happen is, is that the more controlling we are of them, uh, there's a correlation with that and the rebelliousness that children have. Again, Rabbi Shemshin Rafael Hirsch talks about that many times on parents who are controlling, parents who are authoritarian, uh, and how the children are going to respond. And we don't want to have rebelliousness. If we do that, any effort that we have is going to go out the window. So it certainly is a very fine balance. 
Have there been any studies written about the idea of children who so-called go off the derech, who stop following the Jewish tradition and parenting styles? Are there any correlation between the two of them? You know, that's, that's an interesting point. Um, I don't know if there have been any studies uh, dealing in the, in, the, in the Jewish population. However, there have been studies uh, in the general population, studies in, in the public schools, some very fascinating studies uh, that do relate uh, parenting styles to the results. And what these studies have found is that there's a strong link between uh, parenting style and an, an assortment of behavioral and emotional problems. And these studies have found compelling evidence uh, that parents are often the determinants of a child's outcome. Now, obviously, there's many, many factors that go into uh, the outcome of a child. Uh, there's a temperament that the child is born with. Uh, there's peer pressures. There's siblings. There's just the pressures of the, the, the influences of the world. Now, one of the greatest pressures that we have, the greatest influences, unfortunately, is the Internet. How, many, how much influence can all these have on a child and a child going off the derech? And we cannot possibly say parents are to blame, but I think it's fair to say that parents are certainly a factor. And just let me tell you some of the, some of the research. Uh, one, one study uh, found uh, that the primary reason that youth uses drugs is peer influence. But the primary reason they do not use drugs is parental disapproval. That was a study back in 1991. Another study, also back in the early 90s, is that positive family environments is a major reason that children reframe from delinquent and unhealthy behaviors. So, and there's many, many other studies uh, that, that bring out this point. But again, I, I, I want to repeat, if a child does go off the derech, if a child does become so-called at risk uh, with all types of dysfunctional behaviors, I, I don't think it's fair to look solely at the parents and say they've done, they haven't done a, a good job. It's, it's not so. Uh, parents try very, very hard. They do their best. And it's very possible that in this particular situation, it, it couldn't have been helped. But certainly, when we, do, when we do look at a case, we also want to look and see what type of parenting style it has been used. Because very often, uh, I, don't know if, I don't know if I can even say very often, uh, but we do find that parenting style certainly does have a strong influence. Now, your two books, Rabbi Gans, Make Me, Don't Break Me, and Success, have been approved by the New York City for a Title IV-A program, which is the Safe and Drug-Free Schools Program by the U.S. Department of Education called the No Child Left Behind Act. And if you talk about the idea of parental involvement with children, parents say to me, my child is 15. I can't talk to my child anymore. And here you're saying the study talks about parental disapproval of drugs. How do you find that idea that you have to have nurturing and love and a friendship attitude, and yet at the same time say, I disapprove of this. How does a parent get over the idea of my, co my child has grown up? How can I talk to my kid anymore? I think the first step is to realize that as the children do get older, uh, they are going to be uh, separating from the home. Uh, this is a fact of life. Um, 
parents often often uh, joke about the fact that enjoy them while they're young because after that you're not going to see them again anyway. Mm. Uh, they do become they do want their independence, especially especially as because they become in, as they become t- in the teenage years. Uh, they want their independence. Uh, they want to experiment, and that's one of the challenges of adolescence. Uh, so to realize and to, to really accept the fact that uh, this is this is common, this is normal. Uh, if they wouldn't be testing, if they wouldn't be experimenting, if they wouldn't be striving for independence, maybe maybe then we might be concerned. Why aren't you trying? Why aren't you why aren't you challenged? Um, so the, the first step is to, is to realize that. Uh, yes, the, the, the fact that they're experimenting, the, the fact that they're challenging, is is okay. It's normal. But but the the problem now is uh, how do I how do I get involved? How do I have a relationship with the child when when there is none? And it's unfortunate. And what we really have to do is correct many many years of a style that did not nurture that kind of a relationship. Oftentimes. Oftentimes, and that's exactly uh, what my books are about, and that's exactly what the uh, uh, what the what the government program is about is really prevention, prevention of all types of problems ranging from low self-esteem to delinquency and drug abuse. Uh, and if we, when the children are 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 younger, uh, we could nurture that relationship, then we'll find that we will have a strong relationship when they're 15. You know, Rabbi, you talk about the idea of nurturing, and yet some parents have the idea that the mitzvah, the commandment of kibud of the aim, honoring parents, requires us to force children to be in awe of, respectful of, obedient to the parents, in order that they stay obedient to the Torah. How do you respond to parents who say, I must break my child's will in order to follow the Torah? You know, that's a question that I often get. because we find that following Torah and mitzvahs is something which must be done out of obedience. Whether we understand it, whether we don't understand it, whether we like it or not, we must follow. On the other hand, we're hearing from all the popular, uh, in, in all the popular psychology, uh, leave the kids alone, don't bother them, uh, let them go their own way uh, to, to an extreme. Uh, and there's certainly... Is a, there certainly is a way of, uh, of bringing those two together. Let me explain. Uh, there are very, very few halachas that we have on parenting. But there's one very, very major halacha. That halacha is in Mishle. Chanuch l'nar al-pidarko. These few words are powerful and very insightful because what does it mean to train the child according to his way? What does that mean? That means that we have to look at who the child is. Uh, we, now, let's suppose this child is a person who can withstand being told what to do, who, who will actually follow and respond to directives. Well, that's a person who, whose derech, whose darko is obedience. We can certainly do that. But let's say you have a child who um, becomes oppositional because they're controlling. Uh, because parents are controlling. Uh, just the other day, uh, somebody was telling me a true story about uh, a fire drill that was, uh, that was, in, that was in, a, in a particular school. Uh, they went, the whole school went out to the yard 
one little boy, a first grader, decided to go back into the building, walked up to his room, sat down on his desk, and ate a snack. What is going on here? Well, this little boy had a history of being oppositional and was also working with some professionals. Uh, not only the boy was working, but the parents were working because the parents actually created this, so it was, so it was discovered. The reason they created it is because they're being so controlling. So there we have a parent who's controlling, a parent who's demanding obedience, and the child is saying, no, I'm not going to be obedient. So what happens if the child has said, you stand in this playground during the fire drill, he's oppositional. He's going to say, no. If we were to tell the child, we are now staying in the playground, making it, taking away the, making it impersonal, not giving him an order, just saying, this is what we're doing now, rather than saying, you must do this, they found that he responded much, much differently. And he was very easy to work with. So getting back to your question, if we have a child who shows that he's not, that he cannot be, that he cannot, for whatever reason, be obedient, that's his derech. If we're going to be chanuch l'nair al pidarko, then we're going to have to do it according to his derech. And if his derech is that obedience will not work, then the mitzvah, the actual mitzvah, the halacha is, we cannot demand obedience from that person. We have to work with, with other strategies. And there are other strategies. And my books are full of those strategies. We can use all types of positive motivational uh, st- uh, uh, techniques to get them to do what we need them to do. Can you describe some of those techniques, Rabbi Gans? Well, you know, one of them that we discussed in the very beginning uh, is rewards. You know, a lot of people call it bribery, but it really isn't. It really isn't. The Rambam uh, talks about rewards uh, he, in, in, in the Shemona Prochem. He talks about uh, uh, educators rewarding their students to learn. And he talks about when they're younger, give them candy. When they get older, give them clothing. And when they get older, give them covet. Keep rewarding them. Because a reward will, will, will bring them to that inner motivation, which eventually is what we want them to have. So that's one very, very powerful method. To talk about uh, how to do that right now is really not the place, because we we would really need uh, 45 minutes to set up a reward program, but it certainly is something to look into. That's the first chapter. Uh, We we talk about many, many different, uh, there's persuasion, there's criticism. Yes, we can motivate with criticism, but criticism is something that we really have to be very careful, and we really have to know how to do it. As a matter of fact, that's the longest chapter in the book, and it was the most difficult one uh, to get down uh, because criticism is such a very sensitive way of doing it. This praise, praise is powerful. There's nothing more than Masil Sasharim says that there's nothing more that a, than a person wants. There's no stronger yearning within the human psyche than covet. And the covet that the Mesil Sharm was talking about was not necessarily covet high honor and glory. The covet he was talking about was at any, any level, even to a level of just simple recognition. The Miram Ashkiach, Yibruchim Levavitz, used to say, it's as if a person is standing and crying, respect me, make me important, don't ignore me. Or as the folks in Harlem nowadays would say, don't diss me, man. This is all human nature. 
And if we can tap into that and we can praise the child or any, any person, no matter what age, and make them feel good, we've given them a reward. We've given them a gift, the gift of covet. But parents respond, Rabbi Gans, and say, first respect me. My obligation is to teach you honoring parents. Keep it up, Aim. If you respect me, then I'll respect you. Which comes first, the chicken or the egg? The answer is, it's nice if the children would respect the parents. But there's no, but the parent has an obligation. The parent has an obligation to raise these kids and to teach them the responsibility, to get them, to help them grow, to become responsible adults. If they're going to wait around until the child is going to respect them, then it may be too late before they're able to do their job. So while it's nice to say, first, respect me, uh, if it doesn't happen, the parent still has an obligation to be effective. And the only way to be effective is to go out of the way and to chanuch l'na'ar al-pidarko, and to actually train that child according to his way. And if his way is that he's not going to be the first one to, uh, to respect the parent, the parent still has an obligation. He still has that obligation to educate the child. Let's bring this down to a practical level. A parent is trying to get the kids out to carpool in the morning. The towels are on the floor. They haven't brushed their teeth. They haven't had breakfast. They are not dressed properly. They say, come on, get your act together. What's the matter with you? I told you a hundred times. Put the towel down. Put the towel on the, on the shelf and brush your teeth and hurry up. Carpool's coming and get dressed. Can't you... Get your act together. Well, how many times do I have to tell you? And parents got to run the ship. The ship's got to keep going, and they get so stressed out that they end up criticizing to push the children. How do we get the children to p- comply without overbearing criticism? Like any investment, we have to invest something first before we get the results. To say, okay, uh, it's, now, it's now Thursday morning. How do I get them to do it? The answer is that we, what did we do to invest? What type of investment did we make last week, two weeks ago, two months ago, two years ago to make this happen? It's not going to happen this morning unless we put something into it. And so the question really is, what can we do today to help those situations tomorrow? And tomorrow might mean literally tomorrow. It might mean next month because sometimes it takes time. You know, we talked about, uh, there, are, there are strategies. We talked about rewards, setting up rewards, setting up a chart system. It works. We have to, we have to go through that at light. We have to go through that carefully. We have to read the book carefully. Uh, because if any one of those steps is missing, uh, it's the, 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 the system will fall apart. Um, but even more so, there's also, you know, when, when children are doing these types of things, rather than coming down on them immediately and criticizing them, Sometimes it's more important to take a step back, to, before we react, to first think, what's going on in this child's life? What's happening in his life? Very often, you know, when we wake up in the morning, uh, we didn't get a good night's sleep. We might be irritable. We may not be so nice to others. If somebody insults us, our emotions might take over. We may be curt to others. Why should children be different? If we expect children to be at their very best 100% of the time, and we don't give them the slack that we ourselves appreciate. And this is a challenge for us. The challenge for us is to say, well, 
what's going on in this child's life? Why is he so disorganized? Is it maybe maybe he doesn't want to go to school? Let's try to discover what the problem is. Maybe he just said maybe he woke up tired because he didn't get a good night's sleep, and he's acting this way. Maybe he's just plain disorganized, and we need to teach him organization skills. Maybe he has other interests. Maybe he's reading a book which he started the other day, and he's very interested in it. Well, wait a minute. Does it mean that the child is being disobedient? Does it mean the child is being rebellious, even chutzpah? Not necessarily. It just means that the child has other interests that are greater than putting away his, the towel or the clothes. But it's not really answering your question, because your question is, what do I do about it now? And I think, the, I think that rather than saying, what do I do about it now? I think the question is, what do I do about it now? Not for now, but for tomorrow, so that it will not repeat itself. And what can I do, what kind of a mindset can I create in myself to help put me on a different level that will deal with the situation more sensitively and effectively? So you're saying, as you say in your book, the concept of reframing. When you look at a difficult or challenging child, and we all have one of those children in our family or in our extended family, this is a hard, difficult case to deal with. So you're talking about reframing. How do you reframe the concept or the attitude toward a challenging child? Reframing is, is a great word. I'm glad you used it. You know, when, when we come into a, when we purchase a painting, the first thing we want to do is find a frame to match it. So we go into a frame store, and we, um, and we have a choice of 100, maybe even 1,000 frames. We pull one down, we match it, we look at it, it doesn't work. We remove it bring another frame. We've just reframed that painting. Well, the, the child's behavior is the painting. Our interpretation of it is the, is the frame, and the child's behavior is the actual painting. We can have many different frames, many different interpretations. So if a child is a difficult child, he's bullheaded, determined to get his way, there's no talking to him because he's argumentative, maybe even spiteful, so obnoxious. How can we possibly reframe? Well, there's many different things we can look at. But I think the very first thing we ought to do is ask the child. I notice you're, you're, you're responding this way, in a calm way, not, in a, not in, a, in, a, in a degrading way. Can you tell me what's going on? What's going on? What, what am I missing? Sometimes a child will be able to verbalize it. And you'll be able to understand. And if you're open to him, if, you, if you're willing to see things from his point of view, which we all should be, then... We might be able to understand where he's coming from, and we might be able to adjust our rules for him. But let's say he's not able to verbalize uh, what the issues are. We can make several considerations. Maybe his teachers are putting him down. Maybe his peers are snubbing him. Maybe his parents, we are criticizing him too much. Because, you know, parents don't realize it. But when they criticize their children, they're doing it in very, very good, with, with great intentions. They mean it sincerely. They want to help the kids. But let's reverse the roles over here. Let's think about what's going on in the, in, in, in the child's mind. As he's receiving this criticism day in, day out, in the morning, at hurry up, what's the matter with you? I woke you up 45 minutes ago, and you're still not dressed after he gets dressed. Uh, you put on the wrong colors as he's sitting down. You're not sitting straight. As he's walking off to the school bus, uh, there you go running late again. You mean it's in, the parents mean it sincerely, and they really want to help the child. But in the meantime, what's happening is the child is beginning to feel 
wrong or bad or just not good enough. And as the parents bombard the child with all good intent, the child begins to feel unimportant. And how will he get this feeling of importance that he's missing? How will he fill the void that his own parents created? Well, very often, he'll, he'll fill the void by becoming a behavior problem and calling attention to himself as a behavior problem, as the so-called difficult child. And where will he get this attention? Very often, it'll be in school. It'll be the class clown, the class bully, or some other sort of school behavior problem because it's the only way he knows of getting attention, of filling that void that his parents have created. And again, I know parents really are sincere. They're criticizing because they really mean the best and they want to bring the best out. But if we reverse the roles, the child does not necessarily appreciate that. The child, all he knows is what he hears. And what he hears in the morning is, you're doing this wrong. What he hears when he comes home, you're doing that wrong. The next morning, the whole cycle begins. Day after day, year after year, very often, this is the kind of uh, parents themselves are going to be creating the low self-esteem, the behavior problem that the child is today. So I look forward as our listeners do, to following your column in the Jewish press called Bringing Out Their Best. Follow your techniques and your positive self-esteem building techniques in your books, Make Me, Don't Break Me, and Success. And I look forward to having you back on our program very soon. Rabbi Gans, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you.